uh, maybe you're far away from your kids. And so I just uh, hope you'll maybe get a call in or you'll be able to video chat, at least be able to connect with uh, those people that are uh, important to you today. So we're still walking through Mark's gospel. And uh, I want to really show you uh, in this time how the second half of chapter 12 really um, kind of builds up the first half that we see in uh, chapter 12. And so I'm going to turn there. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We'll read it together as well. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we were um, in the first half here, and and Sam was sharing about the parable of the tenants that started out in uh, chapter 12, verse one. And in that story, we have a group of people who've been given this opportunity. There's a vineyard and uh, it's been prepared for them and they're supposed to be working in that. But they uh, they take their responsibility. They sort of cast it aside. They refuse to do the thing that they're supposed to be doing. They had leased this farm. They had a responsibility to pay a portion of the harvested fruit back to the landowner. And of course, the original hearers of the story would have understood that Jesus was talking about uh, uh, Israel, or that Mark, let's say Mark here, where he's talking about in this story, that he's talking about uh, Israel. You can go back and look in uh, Isaiah chapter 5. We, we don't have time to, to look at that today, but in Isaiah chapter 5, it's, it's really clear that there's a, a vineyard, and there's a wall that's made, and the vineyard is uh, Israel. And so we have this picture at the beginning of Mark, the people immediately know he's talking about uh, he's talking about us. He's talking about Israel. And you can see that they thought so, because when we uh, get to Mark chapter 12, verse 12, it says they, it's talking about the, the Pharisees. It says they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people because this, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. So they knew who Jesus was talking about when he was telling this parable in the early half of Mark chapter 12. The Pharisees knew that it was about him and they did not like it so they uh, sought a way to arrest him and so we can ask ourselves what were they upset about what was it that they didn't like well he did not like they did not like that he was saying you're being disobedient and because you're being disobedient the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to someone else they did not like that Uh, i'm not sure if you've ever noticed this but powerful people don't like to have their power taken away And so they don't like to lose their power. They did not appreciate the story that Jesus was telling that Mark covers in the first 12 verses. And so really that part, I think, gives framework to the whole rest of this chapter. And so we move on from the parable of the tenants in um, chapter 12, 1 through through 12. And then we have two different stories about people coming and asking questions. But particularly they're asking questions trying to trap Jesus and so they come and they ask about taxes and they ask about the resurrection because they're trying to trap him and think that that he says so that they can arrest him and they're asking these insincere questions and as they ask the insincere questions I believe that they're a picture of the people that we see in the first part of the chapter they're supposed to be doing something and they're not doing it instead they're doing something different they're supposed to be leading God's people, and they're not. They're leading people, God's people in a, a wrong direction. So that's what you saw last week. And so uh, we're going to finish out chapter 12 today. We're going to read it in two separate sections, okay? So I want us to start in uh, chapter 12, verse 
28, and we're going to read through 37, and then we'll come back and do the other verses in uh, just a few minutes. So uh, verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, that's Jesus, seeing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, what commandment, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, uh, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that, there, that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Verse 35, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Well, we see these first two questions that the, the Pharisees came and asked. They're being insincere. But here I have, uh, I believe, a man who's come to ask a very sincere sort of question. He's asking, teacher, what's the most important command? And it was a pretty common practice in those days for teachers to try to crunch down their core beliefs into as short a saying as possible. So it's, it's sort of common. It's something everyone's doing. And so the scribe comes and says, hey, can you, uh, can you really bust this down? Can you boil our faith down into the smallest possible sentence? But even here, this is what I love about Jesus. Even here, he doesn't do what he's asked to do. He's asked for one thing, and he gives two things, right? So the guy asks for one, he gives two. And Jesus says, the answer is, love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. I've heard a number of people, a number of people, when I explain to them about the gospel and we talk about Christianity, that they would say, Christianity is just too easy. It's too easy. I love it when people say that. It's too easy because someone else is paying for your sin. But the only way that you could consider this teaching to be easy is if you really are not taking that command seriously. Really, I think that, uh, I don't know that I've ever heard a harder statement than love your neighbor just like you love yourself. I'm not sure I have ever hit the mark on that one command. I don't think I've ever gotten that command exactly right. But this man, he tells Jesus, I, I, I think that you've answered well and I think that you are uh, giving us giving us the right answer. And so Jesus tells that person, hey, you, my friend, you're not very far from the kingdom. And I think this causes the Pharisees then to, to kind of break up the encounter, right? They get to this place where it's like, okay, everyone, hey, hey, nothing to see here. Let's time to get back to work. 
because they, they realized uh, they could lose this crowd. I remember I was sitting one day uh, at this restaurant. It's a restaurant under a mango tree there in JB, and I'm sitting, and it's just, I don't know, six or eight uh, Pakistani guys and me, and we're having tea, and we're you know, maybe eating some roti, and we're just talking about uh, spiritual things, and we start to talk about Adam and Eve, and we talk about sin, and uh, another guy sort of wanders up, and he says, hey, 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 we're not supposed to be talking with you about these things. And he steals the attention of about half the group. First, I was kind of frustrated. And then I thought, well, you can have that half. I'm going to keep the half that are still listening to me. I'm going to keep talking to them. When people think, hey, this is something where we can start to lose some people, they will pretty quickly say, we don't want to talk about this anymore. Right? And that's what the Pharisees are doing at that point. Jesus gives a good answer. The scribe says, hey, that's a good answer. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom. And so the Pharisees, they're immediately trying to break this meeting up. Hey, guess what? No more questions. We're not asking any more questions. So then Jesus, in verse uh, 35, he turns the table on them and he asks them a question. So just tracking through chapter 12, it's been insincere question, insincere question, sincere question that starts to turn people's hearts, which immediately causes them to stop. And so Jesus says, well, then I'll ask the questions. If you guys don't have any more questions, then, then I'll ask a question. And he starts to throw down his own question. And he puts out this rhetorical sort of question. Why do they say he's Lord, David's Lord, if he comes after David? And he shows not only are these guys not asking the right questions, they don't know the answer to the questions that they should be asking. He's really showing the people the, the ones who are supposed to be leading you, that's the part that we see up here in the beginning of chapter 12. The people who are supposed to be producing the fruit aren't producing the fruit that they're supposed to give to the landowner. They're not doing the job that they're supposed to do. They're doing the wrong thing. Every time when I get to that uh, place where he asks them a question and they won't answer, uh, it happens a number of times, right, where they... He asks a question and they, they say, hey, let's, let's huddle up. Well, well, he said this and what should we say and how's it going to be? And then they just say, I'm not going to answer. It always reminds me of the end of the book of Job. I don't know if you read uh, Job much. I, I had a Bible plan uh, over the past couple of years that I've read a few times. And you're in Job over and over and over. And uh, I, I've, I just, when I read through Job, I feel like, Job spends almost the entire book complaining, talking about how righteous he is and what a great guy he is and how he's been done wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I don't deserve this sort of thing. And that goes on all the way up until chapter 38. And then, at least in my mind, this could be a very American thing. And I'll just own it if it's a very American thing. But I feel like God shows up to Job in chapter 38, verse 3. And he says, hey, Job, dress yourself for action. Dress yourself for action like a man. I will question you, and you can make it known to me. And so in this sort of confrontational, very Western picture I have in my mind of God and Job, I feel like God takes his finger and puts it right in Job's chest, and he says, Job, I've got a question for you. And then he asks him in, verse, in chapter 38 and 39, he asks him 50 straight questions. 
What about this joke? What about this joke? What about this? And this and this and this and this and this and this, which leads Job all the way up to this place at the end of all of these questions. In chapter 40, Job says the first really, really smart thing he says in the whole book. Chapter 40, verse 3, Job answers the Lord and says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. He says, I've spoken once and I will not answer. I've spoken twice, but I will proceed no further. I think the purpose of those 50 questions is question, 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 which leads Job to the place where God is basically saying, shut up, Job. You don't know what you're talking about. And so when I read these kind of questions and Jesus just asks a question of someone like the Pharisees or someone like the scribes, Oh, you know so much about it. Is that right? Well, what about this? And they just have no answer. They just are shown to be these sort of uh, charlatans, this kind of uh, empty sort of sack that's supposed to be leading people, but they're not doing the thing that they're supposed to do. They're, they're supposed to be leaders, but they're not leading people the right way. So that gets us to uh, these two reactions, right? You get two reactions. So in in verse 34, uh, Jesus, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees, they don't dare to ask him any more questions. But look how the people react in verse 37. It says, the great throng heard him gladly. The people love it. The people love this teaching that Jesus is giving them. But the Pharisees, they don't want to have anything to do with it. That brings us up to two last illustrations that are in... Uh, these last few verses, starting in 38. So I'm going to read now out of Mark 12, 38. So in his teaching, he says, beware of, the, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And they have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came and put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, has put in everything that she has to live on. The thing about powerful people is powerful people love attention. We got to go to uh, a dinner one night. It was a charity dinner. It was a, it was a big affair, uh, a big, big meeting hall. It was completely packed out, and there was, there was one special VIP that was coming to this meeting. The, me the dinner was really being held just a few hundred meters really from where this VIP lived. There was not a single stoplight between this VIP's house and the place that we were having this big charity dinner. And we, we waited for that VIP for an hour and a half. No one ate a single bite until the VIP came. We all just waited. And when the VIP finally came, guess what? Everyone rose to their feet. Everyone applauded, right? Not just because they were hungry, but that's because of what you do, right? When the VIP finally comes in. In the, in the days of Jesus, 
they, they treated the Pharisees and the scribes like VIPs. When these guys rolled into the marketplace, the people all stood up and they said, uh, hey, hey, pastor, hey, hey, scribe, hey, Pharisee. I don't know what, how they would call them exactly, but they would always greet them. They would stand as they came through the market and they would greet them. They enjoyed these kind of VIP privileges. They had a certain honor in their community. The problem with this is when we start to be treated like a VIP, if we're not careful, we start to believe we are VIP. We start to think, oh, I'm a pretty big deal. Everywhere I go, people treat me like I'm really important. So I must be really important. But the picture that God had always given for his people when they uh, were leading the most, maybe not always, but the most common picture God gave for the leaders of his people was a, a shepherd, right? They were to guide and they were to guard the people that God had entrusted to them. They weren't supposed to be lording it over. They were guiding and they were guarding. But somehow that job description had just gotten lost. And the person who was best was the person who could pray the longest or the person who had the best vocabulary or the person yes, in the way that they put these things together. They had an offering, uh, the way that they made the, the place for the offering that it talks about in uh, verse 41. They had this, a, a box put in for the, for the money. And they had it constructed so that when you dropped your coins in, it made an extra bit of noise. Or they would ring a bell to let people know that somebody had just dropped something in the offering. Maybe if you've been to the old Johor Temple uh, downtown, you know, when you see someone come in, they, they make an offering there, right? They put the money in the box and then someone, boom, 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 boom. They beat a drum to say, hey, pay attention to the fact that this person, uh, at least in part, I don't know why they do all that, but at least in part, it's to call attention to the fact that somebody's put money into this box. And so they're dropping in, they're ringing their bells, they're calling attention to all the things that they're doing. They're, they're getting all these uh, accolades in the marketplace and they're having people care about them. And the respect is coming for all the wrong reasons. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 12, if we think about the vineyard and this framework that we've been using, Jesus is telling the people, those who have been running the vineyard are not doing the job that they were assigned to do. And so what Jesus does, he gives them a better picture of what their leaders are supposed to look like. This is that beautiful upside down kind of thing that Jesus does all the time. We have the scribes and we have the Pharisees and everyone rises to greet them when they come in. But Jesus says, you know who's acting like they're supposed to act? That little lady who just put everything that she had to live on. The Pharisees aren't doing what they're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, he says that they, in verse 40, they devour widows' houses. So this lady, who's really probably acting more like a leader than the Pharisees are, she's a destitute in part because the Pharisees are taking advantage of her in a way that they shouldn't at all. So the question is, where does this leave us? How, how, do, we, how do we obey a passage when we get to something like this? And just, I have, a, I have a few things. Let me, let me put them up here for you to see. So what are we supposed to do? How do we, how do we obey this? I would say, uh, first, we love God with everything that we've got. 
We love God with everything that we've got. I think the, the whole uh, heart, mind, soul, and strength, what that's getting that, it's just this comprehensive list, right? Everything that you've got. When you, that, this, the, the way, so the way that we obey, this, this leads us to, we have our scripture, we're in our quiet time, we're praying and we're hearing from the Lord. And we can ask him this question, Lord, how can I love you better with my blank, right? What goes into that? What goes into that spot for you? Sorry about that. How, how can I love you better with my, uh, how can I love you better with my finances? How can I love you better with my spouse? How can I love you better with my, let me go back. I'm sorry, I'm getting off. How can I love you better with my singleness? How can I love you better with my finances? How can I love you better with my work choices? How can I love you better in what I do? And how can I love you better in what I don't do? We read the scripture and we allow those things to, to really shape who we are and, and, uh, and, and how we live. The second thing is this. We love others like we love ourselves. When a similar story is told in Luke chapter 10, right? The lawyer asked Jesus and he says, you love your neighbor uh, like you love yourself. And so the lawyer says, ah, but yes, who is my neighbor? And we know that story, right? Jesus, Jesus leads him to the place where the man says, the one who needs my help is my neighbor. So our goal as believers is to love other people, including needy people, in a way that we love them as much as we love ourselves. And so what does that look in our, in our lives? How, how does that look? And I think, again, that gets us back into our scripture. Uh, over the years, we've seen people come to faith in Christ, and uh, lots of times if they're from another faith background, they're pretty used to having a list of things that they do or things that they don't do, kind of like, uh, here's what I'm allowed to do, here's what I'm not allowed to do, here's what I can eat, here's what I'm not allowed to eat, uh, here's what I do on a certain day, here's what I don't do on a certain day, and sometimes they, they, they say I want a to-do list, but really what they say is, what they mean is, I want a to-do or not to-do list, Right? Can I watch this kind of movie? Can I listen to this kind of music? Can I read that kind of book? Can I spend my money on this sort of thing? And here's the list that God gives us. Love the Lord your God with everything that you've got. And love your neighbor just like you love yourself. Anything beyond that is probably going to lead you into some legalism. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. The next one's this. Check your leadership ideals, right? If your idea of a leader exactly matches the world's definition of a leader, you are probably following the wrong crowd. So whether it's a pastor, it's a politician, or it's whatever it is, if, 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 our, if our leaders that we love and that we follow and that we want, if they look exactly like the kind of uh, leaders that the world has, it's time for us to have a recalculation. The leaders in the kingdom are different than the leaders that the world is embracing. And so we need to make sure that we're following Jesus' example of leadership. And let me tell you, this is not easy, but listen to what his example of leadership is. Serve, 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 get yourself killed. Serve and serve and serve until you get yourself killed. That's the picture that he, he is saying, put, just pour your life into the life of other people so much so that you don't have anything up to the point that you've given everything that you can give. 
That's the picture of the leadership ideal that we should be taking from this, I think. And the last one's this. If you, if you read along in the New Testament, you somehow, sometimes you start to wonder, why does my life not look like the lives that I'm seeing uh, of these characters that, in the, that are in the scripture? And it could be simply because you've never placed your faith in Christ. Right? We, have this, we have this extreme command. And I'm telling you, it is an extreme command. When he says, love your neighbor like you love yourself, it's, it is, it's really impossible for us to follow. And so when we have this kind of extreme command, it's because we have uh, this extreme plan that comes from God. The great news is we don't have to be perfect enough to obey this command. We have Christ who sets us free. In Jesus, all of these commandments have been, uh, that all the commandments that have been set out have also been fulfilled for us. Those things are in Christ. And so he died on the cross for us. He was buried. He was raised again on the, new, on the third day so that not only is all of our sin wiped out, but all of his obedience is also poured into us. So in Christ, I'm both sinless and perfectly obedient. Whereas in my real life day to day here, I'm neither sinless nor perfectly obedient. But I am those things in Christ because Christ does those things in me. Not because I can do it, but because he does it. He died in our place and he obeys in our place as well. So that gives us the freedom to stop trying to uh, obey and earn our way so that we can be uh, all that he wants us to be. We just say, Lord, I can't possibly do this on my own. I have to have you. I have to have you working this out in me. I abandon myself to you. Lord, I have no other hope. Let's pray together. Lord, I am just really grateful for your word and all that it means to us. And I, I, pray, that you, um, I, I pray that you would help us as we uh, think about the things that we learn as we march through books like Mark. And what does this picture mean? What did it mean to the people who heard it when Jesus spoke it? What did it mean to the people who read it when Mark wrote it down? What does it mean to us today? How do we apply it and how do we live these things out? And I thank you for the beauty of how chapter 11 with that uh, fruitless tree, it looks like it ought to have fruit and yet it doesn't, is immediately then followed by this picture of a garden which ought to be producing and yet it's not. Or we don't want to be uh, clouds that look like they should bring rain and yet they don't. We want to bring relief and we want to bring hope and we want to bring love and we want to bring your grace to the people that are around us. We want to make, we, the, we want the world to be different because of what you're doing in us. And so we pray that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. Father, when we get distracted and when we're pulled off course and uh, when we fall into these traps where we appreciate the applause of people and we're thinking we've got it all together, I pray that you would remind us that the, the, the ideal of the kingdom is so often upside down from what we see. It's the woman at the well and it's the, the, the woman who has a daughter who's demon-possessed. It's the kind of people that, that can't possibly be used. It's these dirty, uneducated fishermen that you call out. And then, Lord, this kind of, this kind of person, they change the world. And so make us to be those kind of people that change the world. Help us to be full of Christ, trusting you, giving you every, list, every last thing that we have. I pray that you just bless our dads today and Lord, the kids that are far away. We pray for 
fathers that are far away from, from many of us as well. And we thank you for, uh, Lord, for the godly examples that some of us have had in our lives. And Lord, for those of us who have not had godly examples of what a dad looks like, we thank you that you brought godly men into our lives, that we have the example of Jesus. We have the, we have the example of God our Father right in the scripture that we can go to. And when we don't have a good earthly example, we at least have an example that we can start to uh, try to follow. So I thank you for those things. Thank you, Lord, for this technology that we can be together. Lord, it's just sweet to see the faces of, uh, especially even some today that I haven't seen for months and months and months. And so I'm just excited, Lord, to be able to be together with your people. And I pray that you would bless and that you would move in us and that you would use us and Christ would you be glorified. Thank you so much for loving us, for dying for us, for being uh, buried and raised again, Lord, that we could have all of your obedience and all of our sin taken away. We pray it in your name. Amen.